We've been in Mark for the uh, last couple of months and uh, kind of come to the culmination. As we think about the book of Mark, there's a lot of action that has taken place in the book of Mark. And we'll be in Mark 16. And I apologize because um, I, I like to preach with PowerPoint. Um, and I usually always have it. And I did have it. And my flash drive went down. And so I know enough about technology to uh, have it. Um, and it went down this morning. And it's one of those things that uh, really bugged me because of... Uh, those things occur, and uh, it's just, I know it, it would consume me, so I said, it's better not to have the PowerPoint because I couldn't get to it anyway, but if you, if you, those of you who've been here and know me kind of, that's why I was a little distracted, because I like to have things run a certain way, um, and it's just prepared ahead of time. I used to work in the operating room, and just things that, you know, go well. You, you want things to go well, the checklist, um, you know, if you go to, go to surgery and you're all, you know, you understand that, hey, you know what, I'm uncomfortable, and you go through there, but you want things to go well. You don't want the doctor or surgeon to say, whoops, that's not supposed to be like that. That, that gives you a lot of confidence in what takes place, but, but I can preach without PowerPoint, so that's no problem, because the main focus will be the Word of God. But I like that PowerPoint because it gives you something to look at. It, you can follow through. I mean, that way you don't have to always look at me. Someone said, oh, you have a face for radio, but, um, but understanding that it's... it's uh, the emphasis is upon the Word of God. And so as a mirror, hopefully, it'll reflect Christ. So my goal is to have you see through the Word of God to reflect Christ and what He has a desire and plan for your life. But turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 16, and just going to be reading. We're going to be talking um, this morning, the message is entitled, Why Believe the Resurrection? And what does Mark record um, regarding the details of the resurrection? So just, uh, we'll read a little bit of Mark 16, and it's going to be verses 1 through 16, and I'll be reading out of two passages, the Holman Christian and the New King James, and I'll start in the um, New King James. Just uh, Mark 16, 1 through 16. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they may come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled, and they were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept, and when they heard that he had, was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two, other, two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. 
Let's ask the Lord's blessing before we continue. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you truly might open our hearts. May we be sensitive to your Spirit's leading. Help us to clearly understand what your Word says, and especially at that time when it was written. But Father, how it applies to each one of us in 2017. And may you truly enable us to understand what the message is that you want to communicate to us. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So the first thing as we go to uh, chapter 16, we see here in the resurrection morning that there were witnesses. And the first thing we look at is the fact that women were the first witnesses. And to look at a few characteristics, we see, first of all, why the women? Well, number one, they were faithful. Now, there is um, a difference between men and women. And one of them, I think, is patience. And there's a reason why women were selected to have children. Because if men would have them, you know, the species would have, humanity would have died out a long time ago, I think. <laughs> you know, if, for the average male, if you give them a crying child, it's like, what do I do? You know, okay, stop. And you try to appease. But a woman, um, just taking the basic difference between male and female, um, often has a longer, um, in regards to patience, they have a scale that it, they have a higher tolerance. And as we see here, it's just even about faithfulness and patience and understanding here, how were they faithful? During the ministry of Christ, we see even in, in verses 40 through 41, in back in chapter 15, it says here that they were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they would follow him and help him. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem. Women were an important part of the ministry of Jesus. They don't get the credit, but often they do get some recognition. And that's one thing about Christianity, as we see, is they, they were given a role that exceeds often the um, credit that is given. But they were faithful. They were present during the ministry of Jesus Christ. They ministered to him. They served. They helped um, some provided money for some of the other, even apostles, to help. But they were present during the death and the burial. And they were there. They were um, engaged in works and acts that sometimes they don't always get credit for. And um, women, sometimes you won't always get the credit for. And I think that it's a reminder for us to be able to give you credit and to say thank you for the things that you do. Um, but they served and they were faithful. It's a reminder, but also they were not only faithful, they were focused. They paid attention to the details. And in 1547, as we look at, going back there as well, just a simple statement says in chapter 15, verse 47, Now Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were watching where he was placed. Now this morning's message isn't to knock on uh, men, because men are important and vital and to serve but to also understand some of the differences because they saw where he was placed. This isn't about directions. This isn't about um, lost items. But they were specific in, in why would John Mark put this in his text and just identifying, hey, they notice where um, Jesus was buried. And that's an important detail because we see that further. And they were focused in what their role was and what their goal was going to be in the future. Because not only were they faithful and focused, but they were far-sighted. 
and farsighted in planning what they were going to do. And as we see farsighted, it includes being organized and prepared. The reason they were paying attention to the details of where they laid the body of Christ was because in the future they were going to anoint the body with spices and oils. And the reason was that is because sometimes afterwards people would visit. And I had the opportunity um, in 2000 to go to Damascus or to go to the Middle East a little bit and see a sepulcher. We don't bury people in sepulchers. What it was was an underground tomb. And often what they would do is they would have these shelves of where they would place bodies. And it was kind of like you had to pay rent to keep your, um, say, loved one in this tomb until they... Um, were there no longer and just the deceased body would be in there wrapped in spice and sometimes people would go in there especially if they had to travel distance to visit and um, there was tomb rent if you will that's what they what it was but here Jesus was placed in a new tomb nobody had been there before and here he is he's in there and the women were there because they were going to go and anoint and put spices and it wasn't embalming but it was kind of a preservation but also because of the smell if you remember in John, it talks about Lazarus come forth, and they were like, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they said, no, Lord. And to put it bluntly, um, the King James says, he, he stinketh. But really, in, in modern-day vernacular, it would be, he smells so bad. I mean, just think of you know, someone who's got the worst pair of smelling socks and just magnify that a hundred times. We know about dead, decomposing, smelly things. And uh, just to understand that. And um, I, can, I can definitely tell you about decomposing um, things, especially working in the OR, and when there is a bowel, perf I won't go into that because you just had breakfast. <laughs> but we understand that the strong permeating smell, it is something that is overpowering and it is offensive. But they were going to anoint the body because people were going to visit and they say, oh, we want to prepare. We want to make sure because it was an act of love. If you remember the woman who poured out the spikenard or the perfume that she had spent a year's worth salary on for Christ in anointing. And it's also a reminder of at his birth, remember, when they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But here, they give the um, perfume, and uh, they are getting ready to anoint the body. They were the farsighted because they were going to do this. And the King J or excuse me, the Bible talks about they left when it was dark. Because it would have been a little ways to travel. So it was dark, and then they arrived at about sunrise. And so as they arrived there... They're looking ahead to the task of perfumes and scents. As it says in verse 1 through 3, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they could go and anoint him very early in the morning on the first day of the week. So they left that Sunday morning, and it probably would have been um, a little bit of a journey. They went to the tomb, and then it says at sunrise, when they would have arrived. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us? Because they had sealed the stone, and some don't understand it would have been on a track probably. It was about maybe six feet in diameter, thinner, but they wouldn't have been able to move that stone. So they arrive there, and they're thinking, oh, wait a second, the tomb. And they, they wouldn't even known that the Romans had put a seal on there. But they arrive at the point of where the stone would have enclosed the tomb, and they're thinking, oh, wait a second, in, in the distance, they see it. How are we going to move that? How are we going to get in? And then we understand and see as we look at what takes place in a little bit. But what did they witness? These women who are faithful, they were focused, they were farsighted. As they arrive at the tomb, what is the witness? 
First of all, they were the first to witness the empty, empty sepulcher. And if you're keeping notes, it's just an alliteration of S. But the tomb, the tomb was empty. In verse 42, in chapter 15, verse 42 through 46, it says, When it was already evening, because it was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, and interesting note, why I believe on Thursday there may have been actually two Sabbaths at that actual year, so it would have been two days. And it says, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went into Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And this was interesting because a Roman ruler would usually only gave it to family. But uh, there was no one else. And here Joseph of Arimathea asks and begs for the body, and Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. Because during a crucifixion, we talked about last week, a crucifixion was uh, a tortuous, long, usually lasted a couple of days, up to a few days. It was meant to have someone suffer. And usually you die of asphyxiation, and it is difficult and gruesome to watch. But Jesus died very quickly, and so Pilate was surprised. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. After he brought and after Joseph of Arimathea brought some fine linen, because what they would do, they would wrap the body. Usually they washed it off and then wrapped the body. He took down and wrapped him in the linen. Then he placed him in a tomb, cut out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. And then we also see in chapter 16, verse 3 and 4, what happens is, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us? But looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. So it was moved apart. And so they entered the tomb. So they were the first to witness the empty sepulcher. And going through their mind, they would have thought, first of all, who would move it away? And so as they get closer, they see the tomb. The stone is rolled away. So someone's been there before. So the first they would have thought, wait a second, Jewish law. Who would have been here earlier? Maybe it was grave robbers. Maybe um, someone else who had come and tried to take away the body. So there was a little bit of fear of apprehension as they get closer because what has taken place? And the stone is an interesting phenomenon because why was the stone rolled away? Some think, oh, it was to let Jesus out. But no, that was not the case. Because as we look at it, the stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out, but it was so that witnesses could enter and see where they had laid him, where he was laid before. Because otherwise, they would not have even gone in. And so it was, it's important to understand that it wasn't just simply, oh, you know, Jesus couldn't get out and so that he rolled the stone away. Remember, Jesus had a new type of body. And he appears even in a closed room later where the disciples are hiding and he appears before them. And so the first thing we see is they are, the, the ladies are the first to witness the empty sepulcher. But also they're the first to witness the supernatural messenger, the angel. In verses 4 through 7 of chapter 16 we see, Looking up, they observed that the stone which had, was very large had been rolled away when they entered because naturally, it's curiosity. You're going to go in. Why is it rolled away? You go in the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in long white robes sitting on the right side, and they were amazed and alarmed. First of all, why would someone be sitting in there, staying there? And something must have attracted them. Light, usually we see the angels. There's association with white or light. But here, and even John records that there were two of them because what takes place is 
they had originally set a guard outside. But these angels scare them away, and it's like they fall down as dead men. But this angel says to them, don't be alarmed. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has been resurrected. He is not here. See the place where they put him. So they were the first to witness where he lay. The angel said, look, look here. This is where he was at. And remember, everything was folded up. The napkin there, as they call it. He has been resurrected. He is not here. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. A reminder. Listen, he's told you all this before that he's going to come back from the dead. And so the, the supernatural messenger tells him all this. And in my mind, I'm, I'm kind of analytical. Why put a messenger? Why not some other person there? But see, a supernatural messenger, as you think about, an angel has a little more credibility than just the average person, even a Roman guard. The Roman guards, first of all, would have said, he's gone, but they might have not told the truth because they would deny that Jesus Christ had, had risen from the dead. And really, it talks about, um, in Luke, I believe, where it talks about the Roman guards were actually paid off, bribed. Don't tell anyone what you've seen. Because if you think about if you've seen a phenomenon of angels, that kind of is transformational. It affects you. Um, someone who is an angel, it'd be like, whoa, wait a second. Let's get a grip on reality, what I saw. But these angels, um, the angels tells them and says, who could provide that credibility? And I was thinking about even the fact of credibility. The angels would have won who, first of all, would have got your attention, the supernatural angel, the messenger. And it would have been something distinct that you don't see normally. But sometimes when you testify in court, lawyers attempt to establish or undermine credibility. A police officer was being cross-examined by a defense attorney during a felony trial. The lawyer was trying to undermine the policeman's credibility. And so the lawyer says, Officer, did you see my client fleeing the scene? The officer Officer says, no, sir, but I subsequently observed a person matching the description of the offender running several blocks away. The lawyer says, officer, who provided that description? The police officer says, the officer who responded to the scene. The lawyer says, a fellow officer provided the description of the so-called offender. Do you trust your fellow officers? The policeman says, yes, sir, with my life. The lawyer then says, with your life. Let me ask you this then, officer. Do you have a room where you change your clothes in preparation for your daily duties? Yes, sir, I do. The lawyer says, and do you have a lock on your locker? Yes, sir. So the lawyer says, now, why is it, officer, if you trust your fellow officers with your life, you find it necessary to lock your locker in a room you share with these same officers, trying to just break his credibility. The officer paused for a second, then quickly responded, you see, sir, we share the building with the court complex, and sometimes lawyers have been known to walk through that room. <laughs> One nice thing is we think about credibility. Lawyers are sometimes credibi lower credibility. But. but just understanding the credibility that would have been provided by a supernatural messenger. He would have provided the credibility, the authority, and the explanation to visitors to the tomb. Come see where he laid. Look what has taken place. He is risen. And the angel explained the disappearance of the body, that it was not stolen as well, because people would have gone in. If it was empty, people would have gone in, what happened to the body? And they could have said, oh, no, it was stolen. So the credibility there, a supernatural event. And Jesus had indeed risen as it foretold. 
They were to told to go and tell others in verse 8, but shock and emotion. If you think about this, they were visibly shaken. To see that, first of all, they don't know where they took the body, but also to see an angel, a heavenly messenger, being like, whoa, wait a second. You know, is this real? And they go on. But also, as we look at, they were the first to witness the risen Savior. And that is important as we see in, in chapter 16, verses 9 through 13. It talks about, it says, Early on the first day of the week after he had risen, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him as they were mourning and weeping. Because remember, the apostles who were back there in that room, they still didn't know and didn't believe. Yet when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe it. Then after this, he appeared in a different form. It goes on. But if you hold your spot and even go over to chapter, um, the book of John, John chapter 20. And John gives us another account. One thing about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they call it the synoptic gospels. And what they are, it's like four different witnesses from different perspectives. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written, and then John was written later, and he tries to, he gives us each a different perspective. And so John chapter 20, verses 15 through 18. John chapter 20, verses 15 through 18, and it says, Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Supposing he was a gardener, she replied, Sir, if you removed him, tell me where you put him, and I will, t- and I will take him away. Jesus said, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Hebrew, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I... Go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. And remember, they didn't believe. But imagine being able to see the risen Christ. I mean, most of us are skeptics. It's hard to really believe what we see. We want empirical evidence. We want to touch it. We want to test it. And sometimes we still don't believe. But so, there is some phenomena that, are tr- that is true that we really cannot articulate or explain through even a scientific method, which sometimes is twisted and challenging. But Mary Magdalene, who's mentioned specifically by John, and maybe she was mentioned because she was still alive at the time, or maybe um, those at the time of his writing it was well known to the audience. But imagine trying to explain an unbelievable truth that only you have witnessed to your friends and family. And you know what's going to happen. Imagine here, just those sitting around you or those family members, you try to explain something that happened. Maybe be a simple phenomenon like, oh, I got a perfect grade. No, no way, I don't believe that. Your room is clean. Yeah, right. Or maybe, you know what, um, it could be something about, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't even speed. Something simple. Yeah, right, that I really need evidence for. But here... She gives this truth that she witnesses and no one else believes. And, and you, know, you know your family members, you know your friends. Try to explain them something because most of them wouldn't believe your words. Even though you might be very credible and might be something that is truthful, but oftentimes they will not believe it. And that is the situation Mary was in. And these disciples and apostles were in hiding, had been with Jesus do not believe the woman's testimony. You know, again, why? And talks about in Luke chapter 
24, um, 9 through 12. And even at that time, it was hard because in the Roman Empire and even in the Jewish community, the woman's testimony wasn't that credible, considered credible. What, um, Peter, we know, test Peter, he's one who wants to see for himself. He and John run back to the tomb, look inside, he's amazed. But guess what? It says he still did not believe the news. He saw the empty tomb, but he just assumes, oh, he's gone. What happened? And credibility and integrity, integrity take a lifetime to develop, but a moment to lose, if you think about it. And that is the hard thing. If you think about the credibility of the resurrection, is it true? What is taking place? Because, and I would even challenge you, what is our witness today? Mark 16, 14. Jesus goes back and condemns and says, rebukes them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Think about it. This is Jesus. If you knew Jesus, never sinned, was perfect, doing miracles. He tells you, I'm going to rise again. He rises again, and the apostles still don't believe him. And hardness of heart. They just did not believe. They were living out of fear. They were more concerned about themselves because they thought the authorities were going to come after them for maybe taking the body. We're going to get blamed. But the apostles spent three years with Jesus, yet did not listen to what he said about his death and did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead until they saw his body. And then we condemn Thomas for saying he did not believe. When they did, they all became transformed, and all but one of them gave their life to tell others the good news of his resurrection. Think about what took place. After the apostles saw the resurrected Christ, each one of them, with those 12 men, Actually, 11, spread the gospel to the known world, giving the testimony. And let me ask you this. What is our witness today of the resurrected Christ? Because we think that's something that occurred a couple thousand years ago. Why should we believe that? But yet that is an historical event. The evidence of the resurrection still exists. First of all, the tomb. It's still empty. There is no physical body because if they could have produced a physical body, and I saw an article about someone who is trying to find the DNA of Jesus Christ. But the resurrected body, if they could produce a body, hey, look, this is Jesus. Christianity would have nothing to stand on because that body is not there. It is risen, and I would say search it out. Scripture records that 500 eyewitnesses saw him after. See, at that time, what those, there were witnesses that recorded that. Josephus, some of the other contemporaries at that time, there were 500-plus witnesses that saw the resurrected Christ. And, you know, at this time, what would have taken place is we would have uh, instantly Instagrammed it or put it on Facebook. Hey, I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus. And boom, word would have spread. But they didn't have it back then. The eyewitnesses, word wasn't able to get around back then, even 20 years ago, if you can believe that or not. They didn't have that. So you have to do it the research the old-fashioned way. But also, people's lives are transformed across cultures, generations, and eras. Imagine just within that, that small group how transformational the resurrection of Christ was. It passed continents. It spread to countries. Think about in other nations. There are those who are celebrating uh, across the world the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Periods before and in the future, until the return of Christ, people are going to still see that, the historical fact of what took place. People possess 
internal peace that defies all external understanding. When someone encounters the resurrected Christ, and I don't mean physically like, oh, I saw the resurrected Christ. See, sometimes we see dreams and wonder what that is. Maybe that's the pizza you had last night. But when you study out and you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it is transformational. And there's something about it. Because faith in Jesus Christ, the object who is worthy of our trust, you are given a peace that passeth all understanding. When things occur in your life, those without Christ, it is hard because we think what takes place. It's a tragedy. It's also a tragedy when things come into our life, when it's a cancer, when it's an illness, when it's a money thing. We lose all hope. But yet, someone who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, there is a peace of knowing God is in control. He has a plan and a purpose. Because, I'll be honest, our lives today do not just go well, and it's not like everything is going to go well when you know Christ. Whether you know Christ or whether you don't know Christ, our lives are a spectrum. And sometimes we're up here on the mountain, sometimes we're down here in the valley. We're emotional individuals, human beings, and things go like that. And we're made to respond to that. Sometimes we're stoic, you know, man, I got a flat tire on I-10 during rush hour. Boy, that's a bad thing. Usually we're like, oh, man, I can't believe it happened to me. Oh, you know, it's terrible. And then we respond. Sometimes we get angry. Sometimes, you know, we don't, we're not, once you become a Christian and you place your faith in Christ, it's not everything is rosy and cheery. Oh, you know what? I got a flat tire. That is just the most wonderful thing. I'm just so excited. Oh, you know, I just got a, I just also lost $1,000 because of a car. Oh, that's just a wonderful thing. I'm so happy. Thank you very much. You know, we, we respond very differently. We're human. But after we've gathered ourselves, we can understand that, hey, guess what? God is in control, and, you know, we pray about it. Turn to him. There is a peace that others don't have, you know, and they're going to respond in different ways. We respond in many different things, many different ways to that stimuli that, that we received. Oh, what has taken place in our life? When there's an illness, there's a sickness. Most people don't have someone who they can they can pray to. Oh, most people receive prayer because they, at that time when something is going on in our lives, a life-changing event, they want any possible means. But we truly believe that God can give a peace that passes all understanding. But also, Jesus' bodily resurrection confirms our future promise of eternal life. Those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It isn't just, that's it. There is a promise that is not been fulfilled, but someday when we pass from this earth, there is the promise of the new resurrected body, just like Jesus Christ. So why believe the resurrection? Today is the day we recognize that our lives are very brief. No one knows how long we have to live. I think about that, uh, that wrong way crash on I-10, and those things are on I-17. Three students from Grand Canyon University, and those things just, you know, are reminders of how fleeting our life is. You never know. But we all die and then face the harsh reality of death. You may believe that nothing happens after you die. You may believe all people go to heaven with their dogs. However, most do not want to be confronted with the truth that Jesus came to die to pay the penalty for our sin, and without a personal faith in him, there may be eternal punishment. In that case, 
what you do in this life matters. I would encourage you to search out the truth. Because most people say, well, I don't believe the resurrection, but have never searched out the truth for themselves. If you say, you know what, the resurrection, you know, what difference does it make? Spend a week evaluating historically if Jesus Christ was the one who he said he was, did who he said he was. Because if you're truly searching for truth, I believe you'll find it. There's some who look at Christ and say, you know, who is he? Was he a lunatic who he said he was? Maybe he was a liar. Or if you search out the truth, and I believe there is evidence to find out historically what took place, and even the case for Christ, the, the movie that is out. But if you try to find the truth, I believe that God will show that to you. And you will understand that he is truly Lord. Because the danger, or not the danger, the fear we have is, if he is who he said he was, and that he rose again, now I'm accountable to him. And, and what is my response to that? Because it has lasting implications. If you find that Jesus was not who he said he was, guess what? You've only lost a week of your time. But if he was who he said he was, then you have not lost eternity. You must understand that we are all sinners and the consequences is spiritual death, physical death and eternal punishment apart from God. That is why Jesus came to earth to die to pay the penalty for our sin and rose again to demonstrate his power over death. He offers eternal life in heaven to all who confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Today is the day that all who have trusted in Jesus Christ can be confident that the resurrection provides the assurance that someday you will be with Jesus in heaven. And that's a peace that no one can take away. If you have never asked forgiveness for your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone, let me ask you this. What prevents you from believing the resurrection? Because your future depends on it. Secondly, if you have a personal faith in Jesus Christ, you know, and the question is, why tell others about the resurrection? Because their future may depend upon it. Maybe you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you've never told anyone about that. The resurrection. So the question le leaves with you. Why believe the resurrection? Because, one, your future depends on it. And those who have received Christ, there's other people who you care about, who you know their future depends upon it. And there is confidence in knowing and believing. And you can know for sure today. Shall we pray?